0: Welcome to The Single Source, a podcast series brought to you by Global Financial Service Provider, Apex Group. The Single Source hosts a diverse mix of industry veterans, rising stars, finance experts and investment enthusiasts to discuss all things financial services, as well as the things that really matter to Apex, because we are more than just a financial services provider and are here to drive positive change for a more sustainable future in the industry. Welcome to APEX Group. I am your host, Stacey Arrigo, Managing Director, APEX Boston office. Today, we are discussing the topic of ESG and asking our panel, how does it attract capital? Private funds and ESG have long been considered by some as incompatible. However, under growing pressures from allocators, LPs and regulators, and as the link between value creation and ESG factors grows, private markets are taking notice ESG has moved beyond just a box-ticking exercise for alternative assets. Last year, APEX expanded its ESG ratings and offering by unveiling a pioneering new portal designed to deliver ESG insights specifically to private companies and their investors. It is a pleasure to introduce the contributors for today's discussion. Today, I'm joined by Kyle Burrow. Partner in EY's private equity and BC practice and author of the firm's global private equity CFO COO survey. Also joining us from EY is Jessica Bloom, partner in the firm's wealth and asset management practice, and she focuses on ESG services and solutions for alternative asset managers. Lastly, we're joined by my colleague, Andrew Pitts Tucker, managing director of Apex ESG Ratings, a company specializing in the advisory. Data collection, rating, and reporting of BSG data in the private market space. At this point, I'd like to hand the conversation over to Kyle as he walks through some results from the ENY's CFO COO survey. Kyle?
1: Thanks for the introduction, Stacey. I appreciate it. And, and thanks for having EY present the results of our eighth annual 2021 Global Private Equity CFO and COO survey, especially as it relates to environmental, social, and governance initiatives at private equity firms. Our survey assesses the responses received from 127 private equity and venture capital CFOs across various sizes of assets under management. We also surveyed 72 private equity investors to get investor sentiment regarding various topics impacting private equity strategies, talent management and operations. We focused one chapter of our 2021 survey specifically on ESG. Five years ago, when we asked a similar question around strategic priorities, only a very small percentage of firms believed ESG to be a top strategic priority. But in 2021, 41% of CFOs and COOs uh, and firms over $15 billion of assets under management responded that it's a top strategic priority for them in the current year. So, based on the results of the strategic priority question, we ended up taking a deeper dive into all things ESG. Uh, and with that, I, I'll jump into a couple of the results from our survey. As it relates to ESG risks, we asked asked CFOs and CEOs how seriously are ESG risks contemplated in the investment decision-making process? And the respondents answered that only 24% said that they take those risks very seriously and have a mature ESG policy and process in place. And 32% of all private equity firms responded that investment return is still the most important criteria making an investment decision. And ESG risks are just not seriously contemplated in that current process that they have today. So with that, I'm gonna turn it over to Jessica and Andrew. Given that such a large percentage of the CFOs uh, answered that they don't yet have a mature ESG policy and process related to their investment decision-making or that they just aren't taking ESG risks seriously in their investment decision-making process today, What does that tell you about how far P.E. managers still have to go in order to change their mindset to meet investor demands and statutory requirements? Maybe I'll start with Jessica.
2: Sure, Kyle. Thanks for having me here. And the results are pretty outstanding. Um, P.E. managers are going to need to shift their mindset or potentially risk losing out on capital. A, A more mainstream viewpoint is that ESG risks, including climate, really pose a financial risk, and that needs to be captured in the investment process regardless of investing style?
3: Yeah, just coming in here, um, I, I couldn't agree more that a shift in mindset is absolutely required. Now, with the onset of regulations such as SFDR, um, which came into effect in March this year, we're certainly seeing a significant pickup in interest in ESG. And, and I think for all the right reasons, it, it is generally more acknowledged now that ESG it not just a tick box exercise, but if done correctly, can really improve the value of a company. This dual materiality, which, which you mentioned just now, i.e. doing the right thing by ESG, but also adding value to your company, this is only going to drive further interest, I believe, in incorporating uh, ESG into the investment decision process uh, by investment managers.
2: Yeah, and we're, we're seeing it. ESG policies and those with policies The incorporation risk is is really going to have to be front and center for investors, and they want to better understand how managers are actually addressing these risks. Um, We're seeing it in the line of questioning that managers are receiving during due diligence. So managers really need to prioritize. They need to get organized and give it the proper attention and thoughtfulness as any other investment risk. Even those managers who have maybe always incorporated elements of ESG risk into their processes are reconsidering and revisiting as this continues to be an evolution. And really one of the key elements that managers are focused on is data collection. They have to have the best available information in order to evaluate those risks appropriately.
3: Uh, Absolutely. In my view, data is is absolutely everything here. Uh, The importance of of backing up uh, good policies, good programs and procedures with real data points Uh, It's going to be absolutely essential. Multiple global standards are determining what's deemed best in class at the moment. And investors will absolutely, no doubt, be required to collate this information to support their marketing materials uh, and investment mandates. Well, that that
1: might be a good segue to to the next question about how are private equity managers engaging with their limited partners on ESG topics today? We we asked uh, in our survey, um, that question, and 84% of the largest managers uh, said they're discussing ESG policies and procedures at their limited partner and advisory committee meetings. And 47% of managers for firms under two and a half billion of AUM they aren't discussing ESG with their limited partners at all today. So maybe I'll start with Jessica again. We we know ESG is important to limited partners. We just talked about that. But how important is it that managers are engaging directly with those limited partners and then communicating their ESG strategy to their limited partners?
2: You know, ESG is so broad and, and, you know, people can get very easily caught up in it. But we really advise our clients to start this process by figuring out which topics within each bucket are most material or key, remembering to make sure you're incorporating feedback from all of the stakeholders, the LPs, the employees, your portfolio companies, once you've identified the most important topics and kind of narrowed down the scope, then you can focus on the consistency and the communication and really tracking progress towards those goals. You know, LPs want to understand how your organization is addressing those key topics, and they also recognize that it's a journey, so it's going to take some time. The communication
3: is really key. Yeah, and I think just to add to that, P managers really now risk putting themselves at a marketing disadvantage if if they're not seen to be uh, endorsing ESG. And if they are endorsing it, absolutely proving it. Scrutiny is increasing uh, and may seem a further data provision burden to some. So it's absolutely essential that there are helping hands in this process who have determined what good data uh, looks like, what data is essential. and and really can support managers around that uh, data collection and management process. Uh, In my view to date, most LPs have been probably satisfied with their uh, invest if their investments can show that they're incorporating ESG good practice, Uh, but our sense is it's changing, and the the investment manager is gonna have to go a step further now and not just show that they are doing it, but actually back that up with specific KPIs uh, and data points, as mentioned just now. So picking those key data points and being able to uh, showcase uh, what you are doing is going to be essential going forward.
2: And it doesn't have to be in one of those very long, glossy-looking um, social responsibility reports, right? There's other creative ways for smaller asset, uh, smaller private equity managers to, to showcase what they're doing, right? It could be a dedicated part of your website or just a more condensed report. But as long as it incorporates the key elements, then um, that communication
3: should help with the limited partners. It doesn't have to be long-winded. And I think this is one of the problems that uh, a lot of organizations have. They feel that more is better. In our view, I totally agree with what you're saying there. Keeping it short, keeping it succinct and to the point is, is so essential. Well, I'm gonna ask a follow-up question just related to all the
1: things you talked about, You know, being short, succinct, what your story is. I often hear private equity managers saying that ESG, the topic is so such a large top, broad topic. It encompasses many areas within environmental, social, and governance issues. Um, when you're talking about data collection, is it is it that the firm needs to, to try to collect data on all those topics and every um, you know, every sliver within each of those topics, or is it are they trying to find their own story and then collecting data and communicating? those results that are important to them, how would you describe that?
2: Yeah, Kyle, I mean, I, I would say, certainly do not try to take on all of the topics um, that will be uh, driving uh, managers pretty crazy. Um, I think the, the key there is to make sure they're really focusing and honing in on the topics that are most important to them and make sure you have good data to report on those key topics. And, and that will really resonate well with the limited partners
3: it's incredibly important for the investment managers to, to take advice on, on what data is best uh, because there are, as well as having your own specific KPIs, uh, which is uh, how you are going to define yourself, there are also now those broad requirements that most LPs are asking for. And not, It's not only LPs now. Let's remember that there is now regulation uh, in the European Union and regulation is only going to uh, spread. It's, it's not going to be long before the U.S., um, you know, the the SEC uh, have regulation in place uh, as well as the U.K. So I think understanding what broad data points uh, are required is, uh, is equally as important.
1: We mentioned here, last question on this topic, we mentioned here in communication, speaking at limited partner and advisory committee meetings, we talked about sustainability reports. What other types of communication are we seeing out there of how... Um, private equity firms are communicating to their limited partners or regulatory um, uh, bodies.
2: I mean, I've seen some private equity managers, those that have maybe signed up for some of the organizations Andrew was referring to, like the PRI, have actually published to their LPs what scores they have received. Um, So that's just an example of some of the other communications I've seen besides the, the standard ones that you talked about.
3: Yeah, exactly. And uh, under the uh, European legislation, the SFDR, um, there are regulatory technical standards again, which which really uh, drive the uh, disclosure uh, data uh, required in order to align yourself with uh, whichever category um, you choose. So, uh, it, but it is so varied. I, I've seen LPs that uh, seemingly are satisfied with a, a single sentence from from their from their underlying funds as a summary of, of what their companies are up to. Uh, others take a much more fulsome data-driven approach, uh, which in, in my view is, is the only way to do it. Uh, once you've got that data, obviously you can make much more informed uh, decisions going forward.
1: But Maybe just we'll shift the discussion a little bit to who's investing, what type of investors are investing in ESG and, and what firms are offering ESG. Uh, We asked the 72 private equity investors, do they invest in ESG products today, and how do they expect that amount of ESG investing to change over the next three years? And over half of the respondents uh, said that they invest in ESG products today, and, and half of those respondents said they expect that their ESG investing into private equity would increase over the next three years, so more than to any other alternative asset class. And we then asked PE managers the same question if they offered ESG strategies to investors. And two thirds of European and Asian firms said they offer an ESG strategy today compared to only 20% of North American PE firms. So maybe I'll start with Jessica. What are you seeing in the product space related to ESG uh, at PE and VC firms today?
2: Yeah, we're we're certainly seeing a, a very large increase in the ESG products launched by managers From all sizes, but certainly not enough to meet the demand that we're seeing. Um, And so, what's been interesting is seeing some of the ways that GPs are getting creative and thinking differently. Um, You know, used to be more focused on just certain exclusionary types of products, meaning that they excluded certain portfolio companies that didn't meet the needs, but now they're getting um, a little bit more creative. They're thinking about thematic investing, such as, you know, focusing on a low carbon or a renewable economy. Um, you know, I've seen I've seen and heard of um, people focused on DEI-focused funds, such as, you know, women-owned business or impact funds with agricultural products. So really getting interesting um, products out there in the marketplace, but just not enough so far.
3: Investors of all shapes and sizes are launching uh, specific ESG or sustainable or impact products. But it's also really important to remember uh, that we want to see the traditional non- ESG, or not not marketed as ESG funds, also focusing on and incorporating ESG, uh, and really starting to embed uh, a more sustainable methodology into their investment decision. Uh, This, in turn, um, will will really drive the the volume of opportunity, I think, uh, with the LPs. And and also, it will mean that that these funds can really start to market themselves uh, as funds that have strong ESG policies. Uh, and programs for change so they're not marketing themselves as specific ESG or sustainable funds they're normal funds who apt, spend a lot of time and focus incorporating ESG best practice uh, into their decisions and i think i think it's very important to to recognize that because you know at some point we all hope that though these funds who are incorporating ESG uh, best practice and those that are marketing themselves as ESG funds will effectively merge because they're actually all incorporating ESG to the same extent. We're probably a, a few years away from that yet, but it's def- definitely something to think about.
2: Yeah, I agree with you, Andrew. And and the point on marketing, I think, just want to make another point there is, is really key. Um, if you are marketing yourself as an ESG product or an ESG fund, you really want to make sure that you're delivering on what you said you're going to be doing. Um, this has been a hot topic for the SEC in the in the registered fund space, and it's going to continue to get focus and scrutiny by regulators here in the U.S. as well as overseas. That making sure they're living up to what they said they were going to do.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Backing up um, backing up your promises with actual data. Uh, there, there's. Uh, I mean, greenwashing is a term which we we've all heard about. And the only way you're going to be able to avoid that is is by proof and collecting that data, which can really authenticate uh, your policies, your procedures, your programs is going to be so important. And my sense is, at some point in time, ESG data is going to be audited in the same way as financial data is. So the idea of having a a third party independent help you with that process. the same way that you you have it in the financial sector is going to be so important and you know my sense is we're not far away from that at the moment. Andrew what
1: do you make of the disparity uh, for the North American firms uh, trailing their European and Asian counterparts as far as offering ESG strategies and what do you expect or if you had a crystal ball what would you see in the next few years going forward with it will it catch up to their European counterparts
3: or, or where do we think that's headed? I think because of the way money flows these days and so many um, US funds market into the European Union, they, they are effectively falling under the legislation uh, by default, uh, by simply the way that the, the, the investment process, the complexity of the investment process um, you know, takes place. So uh, although um, it, it, it is sort of recognized that the US uh, are behind, I I get the sense that they're catching up very, very quickly. And with with Biden coming in, immediately putting a task force in place uh, within the SEC, it's not going to be long as well before uh, they are also uh, bound by by regulation and uh, essential disclosure in some shape or form.
0: To Kyle's point earlier, Jessica, I think 50% of firms 15 billion and under AUM haven't even started discussing with their limited partners. In ES, you know their ESG policy or ESG practices how do you get that conversation started internally you have to start
2: internally figure out the topics and then from there you can establish your own internal ESG policies and then start to build out the processes that are going to fall in line and, and follow the policies and, and it can be a challenge um, and it's going to take time it doesn't it doesn't happen overnight and many firms are finding themselves in need of, of helping hands to get them through this
3: journey, I couldn't agree more. There tend to be two parts um, when we go out to a uh, to a, a prospect or a client that hasn't really embarked on a on an ESG process before. Um, it's quite often driven by a, a, an ask from a stakeholder of theirs uh, who is basically saying, "We need you to provide this data, please." Uh, but also, and as importantly, quite often, um, it's driven by the fact that these investment managers have their own uh, ESG aspirations. And so what we try and do is we try and draw out the rationale. Why have you come to us in the first place? What is the driving force behind your ask? And then we build on that. Um, quite often, they don't have policies and procedures in place. So we, we use that uh, th- those initial discussions to really inform uh, developing a policy. And they can be simple, these policies. We don't try and overburden Uh, 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 investment managers at a very early stage in their life cycle, Uh, but then we build on that policy and then we we help them put together data sets as well. So where they say we need to collect data on underlying companies, we've looked at the major global standards that are really defining what data is important. And it's these global standards that are underpinning um, regulation and various other ESG disclosure requirements. So we consolidate these data sets and they start very, very simply. Um, and that is a fantastic place to start for a lot of these organizations. It's getting the companies used to collecting the necessary data uh, so that those funds that have got their portfolio of, uh, of, of private companies can collect, collate, put it into reports uh, and, uh, and push that up to their LPs. But there's also another very important point. We want that information that they collect, the data that they collect to also drive change. And that's so important for us because <clears throat> the whole rationale of collecting ESG data is to inform us of the, of the of the ESG baseline from which investment managers and the underlying companies can improve. And that change program, which gets put in place as a result of collecting that data, is really the most important piece and the driving force behind all of this. Um, but yes, we, we do see all sorts of funds at all stages in development. And uh, along with Jessica and uh, the EMY team. We're, we're here to help. And it is very much a helping hand um, needed at the moment at this stage in the, the, the ESG process.
2: Yeah. And that's why we call it a journey, right? This doesn't happen overnight and it's consistently iterative.
0: Thank you very much, Jessica, Kyle, and Andrew for today's conversation. I think that was very insightful, attracting the capital that you might be looking for in your next fund.